Have we been hearing Jesus through Matthew? He said, come by the narrow way. The way is broad that leads to destruction. You come to God. You come to the King's feast only through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you do, when you put your faith in Christ, you are clothed with his righteousness and you will enjoy him forever. But don't think, even if you've slipped by your church security, you know what I mean? You say, I'm in a good church. Fine. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? I'm asking you, are you ready for the king and the feast? There's only one way to be ready, the Lord Jesus. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 22 titled, Clothed with the Righteousness of Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Jesus then told a story about two sons, and then he told that vineyard story. Well, now today, he, uh, he's going to tell another story. But before I leave this, I want to say those two stories he told about the two sons. In both cases, he didn't just tell a story. He applied it to them. Glance back at 21, verse 31, when he said, you know, there was a guy who had two sons. One, he said, I'd like you to get some work done. And one of them said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the other said, I'll do it. But the one who said he wouldn't do it ended up doing it. And the one who said he would didn't. <laughs> Simple story. Any parent has had that situation. And he said, now, which one of the two did the will of their father? The one who said he would, but didn't? Or the one who maybe started off thinking he wouldn't, but ended up doing it? And then he said, look, look at verse 31. They said, well, the latter, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax gatherers, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For you, you religious hypocrites, he's basically saying, you say you're going to do the will of God, but you won't. And those who maybe were off to a rocky start, and, but admit their error and come and repent, and he applied it to them. Then the next story, the story of the vineyard, Jesus said to them, verse 42, did you never read in the scriptures? Therefore, I say to you, verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Well, when the chief priests, verse 45, and the Pharisees heard this, they understood. They understood that he was talking about them. And they were seeking to seize him. But they became afraid of the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. The tension is mounting when Jesus tells this next story. And what I want to do is read it and then uh, come back and comment on it. I think you'll be able to see uh, with just a little bit of reflection that it's a very clear statement of what was going to take place and what was taking place. Jesus said, he answered and spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So he's going to talk about God's kingdom and he's going to compare it to a king 
who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who'd been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. And again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who've been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Just go out everywhere. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But the king came in to look over the dinner guests, when he came in to look them over, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now this is the word of Jesus Christ. This is a story he told. Uh, he didn't tell things lightly. He didn't speak off the cuff in the sense of everything he said we ought to listen to. So let's look at it. First of all, verse 2, the kingdom can be compared to a wedding feast. Uh, a wedding is always a special occasion. Uh, you know, but this wasn't just anybody's wedding. This was the king's son. Uh, this was a gala affair. I remember when our kids were little, Prince Charles and Diana. And man, it was huge. It was called the wedding of the century. You know, 3,500 guests invited. Did you get an invite? I mean, that was big stuff, you know. And another 35 billion watched it on TV, you know. I mean, it was, it was a showstopper. And uh, the whole of England and much of the world, it was grand. It was, it was formal. It was, and by the way, when, when something is uh, touted like that, you can almost be sure. I mean, every magazine, there was a front cover, you know. Uh, the storybook wedding, you could almost sense, oh, boy. You know, and within five years, they were separated. 
And 15 years later, they made it final. The queen sent them both a letter, why don't you just end it? And they did. They got the divorce final. And then a year later, Diana entered eternity, you know. And I just say that because, oh, how many people are trying to have a storybook wedding? Young women, I, I tell them, don't, don't shoot for a storybook wedding. Shoot for a storybook marriage. And to do that, you got to be prepared. And uh, anyway, I can't help but comment on that. But here, the king's, the king's son was getting married, and he threw a wedding feast, and that's a big deal. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they weren't willing to come. That's a shock. That's just like the story he told in the vineyard when he sent slaves to, pick, to get his proceeds and they took one slave and killed him and stoned another and beat up another, remember? And it was just a shocking story. And this is shocking, this story. You're not willing to go to the wedding of the century, you know, or whatever. The king's son, the wedding feast. John, the Baptist... And I'll just draw the analogy quickly because Jesus said, this is like the kingdom of heaven, this story. John the Baptist pointed to the bridegroom and he said, here he is, the Lamb of God. Israel wasn't interested, really. Uh, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The invited guests, Israel, Jesus came to the nation. Matthew's a book written to Jews. And don't misunderstand me when I say that. Today, the gospel has gone out. We're going to see that in just a minute. Uh, God's purposes have never been parochial in the sense of just Israel. No, he wanted to always bless all the nations through Israel. But he's speaking to these Israeli leaders, and he says, the invited guests wouldn't come. Verse 4, again, he sent out other slaves, a second invitation. He sent out other slaves telling those who had been invited, the invited guests, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. By the way, I wouldn't press this. If you want to disagree with me, fine. But I think... He's speaking not only of John the Baptist and Jesus saying, come on, you're invited, Israel. Then this second invitation, notice, with other slaves, parallels when Peter stood up after everything was ready. Jesus said, it is finished. He accomplished the cross and the resurrection. And Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter stood up, and the early chapters, well, turn over there and look at it. Keep your finger here. I don't want to lose the story, but I think we don't want to also lose what Jesus said. This is the way it'll be. He's not just wanting us to listen to a story. In Acts chapter 3, I was quoting Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, but Peter had another opportunity, and in the early chapters of Acts... Other servants, other slaves, not John the Baptist or Jesus now, but other ones proclaimed to Israel 
Israel, God has made him Lord in Christ, whom you crucified. Listen to how Peter closes this next sermon, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. That's right out of Deuteronomy. Moses was speaking to Israel. It shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, it is you who are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers. Very Jewish, right? Saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. But what did Israel do with that second invitation? Well, go back to our story. Verse 5, they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. It's shocking, apathy. Now, don't just sit here and maybe the majority of us are Gentiles, don't just sit here and point at Israel. But I do point this out. Uh, but how many today hear the invitation, pay no attention, you know? Don't listen. Go their way. I got other things to do. Don't push me on that. You know, I don't want to talk about religion. I've got other things to do. I got business. I got a job. I got a career. I've got money to make, you know, etc. The indifference. And so... They went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. And let me just say to you today, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world and forfeited your soul? We've, we've all heard and seen, and maybe you are in the midst of prioritizing your career over your wife or your husband or your family. And that's a bad bet. That's a bad priority, Okay. But what should I say about how many prioritize their stuff, their career, their job, their even family over the king of kings and his gracious invitation to come to the wedding feast of his son? Well, they went their own way, and it wasn't just apathy. They were antagonistic. The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Read the early chapters of Acts. They imprisoned and killed. James was head cut off. Stephen was stoned to death. They treated the slaves like they had the masters. And finally, the king's patience was exhausted. Verse 7, the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set their city on fire. In A.D. 70... Titus came through just a short time after Jesus had been rejected by Israel. The Romans came and put a siege on Jerusalem, burned it, 
took every stone down upon another, the very things Jesus had said. And you say, wait a minute, Scott. You're not saying that the Roman army was the king's army, are you? The king was enraged and sent his armies. Well, two things here. God is, in, is, is enrageable, okay? Can I put it that way? This is a sobering word that's tied right to the king. And when Jesus tells a story about the kingdom, he's talking about the king, okay? And uh, the Roman army was a louse, I mean, you know, an evil thing. But God can and does use evil things to do. In Isaiah, he used, he used Assyria, and he said, they're like my axe, and I'm going to judge you, Israel. And he did. You go read it in Acts, or Isaiah chapter 10. They're my club. He will use evil nations to bring about his purposes. And in AD 70, Jerusalem was brought to the floor, probably the most famous of those kinds of statements. I'm quoting out of Isaiah 10, but I could go to Isaiah 44, and he actually names one ahead of time, about 100 years before Cyrus even came on the scene. He said, I'm going to raise up my shepherd, Cyrus, who doesn't even know me. He's going to fulfill my desire. He's going to do what I want him to do. I just say that in passing. Verse 8, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered not the invited guests, but who? Anybody. Everybody. They went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. That corresponds to when? Today. Ever since Israel spurned Christ, the gospel has gone out to who? Gentiles, Jews, you name it, whoever, evil, good, come, Jesus says. And his messengers say, let me invite you to the wedding feast. And that's exactly what I'm doing today. And actually, it says here, the wedding wedding hall, look at it, verse 10, was filled with dinner guests. But, verse 11, when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how do you come in here without wedding clothes? You don't come to the Buckingham Palace or whatever. You don't come to the wedding feast of the king the way we dress in Portland. You know, hey, come as you are, don't worry, you know, we're cool. We don't worry. Uh, no, no, when you get into the wedding guest of the king, you come into the hall, you better be clothed right. And the king came in, and the place was filled, and he said, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? What's being pictured here? Well, Jesus said the kingdom is being pictured here. Today, the gospel has gone out, and many people are coming, but I'll tell you what, many are heedlessly coming, and they're thinking they can just slip in to the feast dressed as they are, rather than being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There's really only one way to be ready for the wedding feast, and that is to come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, to come to the one John pointed to, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to come as a friend of mine just recently did and said, God, I'm a sinner. 
I thank you for dying for me. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says your clothing, which was like filthy garments, your sinfulness is washed away and he clothes you with the righteousness of Christ. And so this parable has this ominous verse 12, friend. And by the way, I looked it up. There's only three times that the word behind that word for friend is used in the New Testament. That parable we saw a few weeks ago where the guy said uh, at the end of the day when he'd hired different people and he said, friend, why are you grumbling? That wasn't a very good scene. In other words, it's almost, I don't want to be trite here, but when the king uses this term, the only other time he used it was when Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you've come to do. Judas was no friend of Jesus, let me tell you. He was a betrayer of Jesus. And this guy at the wedding feast that maybe slipped past the, you know, the security and the reception desk dressed however he wanted to be, the king says, uh-uh, no. Then the king said to his servants, verse 13, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Have we been hearing Jesus through Matthew? There's going to be many come to me, Jesus said, who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do things in your name? Didn't we depart from me? I never knew you. Many are called, few are chosen. What is he after? He said it, and I was quoting Matthew 7 just there. He said, come by the narrow way. The way is broad that leads to destruction. You come to God. You come to the king's feast only through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you do, when you put your faith in Christ, you are clothed with his righteousness and you will enjoy him forever. But don't think, even if you've slipped by your church security, you know what I mean? You say, I'm in a good church. Fine. Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? I've been a good church member for many years. I don't care. I'm asking you, are you ready for the king and the feast for the wedding feast, there's only one way to be ready, the Lord Jesus. Well, it's wicked, it's very wicked to spurn the king's son. Let's learn that. The king has patience. He sent out an invitation. He sent out another one. But his patience will come to an end. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Clothed with the Righteousness of Christ, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Let Jesus' words humble you. If you don't, I guarantee you will be hardened. Response to God and his word always results in humility or hardening. And it might be incremental, and it often is. You've heard, you've resisted, you've heard, resisted, and gradually you become harder and harder. You hear and heed, you hear and listen, you hear and obey and respond, and God works that deep humility that starts when you say, I'm a sinner, thank you for giving me your son as a savior, and then humility just grows as you walk with Christ. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Let Jesus' Words Humble You. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.